What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGN+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am Tom Hush, and usually this is where you would hear my fantastic co-host, Mr. Connor Cornelius, but today he is unfortunately out. He's not going to be able to join us, but uh, that's okay. Everybody needs a break every once in a while when you're covering cinema every single week. But uh, we do have a fantastic guest today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Eric Childress. He is a film critic for eFilmCritic.com and also the executive secretary of the board for the Chicago Film Critics Association. Today we're going to be talking about the Chicago Critics Film Festival happening at the Music Box. That's uh, this Friday. You're listening to this on Monday. You'll be uh, able to get there on Friday, May 4th. Runs the whole week until May 10th. Lots of fantastic screenings. So, Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, tell us a little bit about getting involved with the Chicago Film Critics Association. Um, uh-huh. We know it was founded in 1990, been running strong ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about what you do for them as the executive secretary and also just in general. Well, I first got involved with the Chicago Film Critics Association. I had been doing uh, some radio shows here in Chicago as a kind of a de facto movie critic for them, uh, including with uh, Nick DiGiulio right here at WGN Radio. And uh, it kind of introduced me to a website, you mentioned eFilmCritic.com, and I ended up uh, doing movie reviews for them. And that was sort of my gateway into having a professional outlet that allowed me to apply for the Chicago Film Critics Association. I was in touch with Dan Geyer, who is the current president then, president now. And uh, eventually I was the first online critic to be accepted into the organization. There was a time when, you know, believe it not, not so long ago, that online film critics were kind of like the, you know, the stepchild of the right. film criticism world. And so a lot of organizations didn't have bylaws or rules to, you know, have online film critics. And so I was the first one accepted into the group at the time. That was 2001. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, online film criticism, I feel like it's as old as the internet itself. It's, well, now it's, yeah, we're about you know 17, probably more like 20 years, uh, the, the involvement of online film criticism as a kind of a, like, oh, who are these guys who can just write a blog and, you know, do some movie, you know, movie criticism to an actual, now it's almost all shifted. I mean, even all the newspapers and whatnot have had to keep up with the internet, so a lot of Mm -hmm. newspapers and magazines and whatnot have to get the opportunity to post their stuff earlier than they normally would on a Friday and have their stuff out there. So being one of those, uh, being the first online film critic to be uh, allowed into this Critics Association, was there a sort of... I don't know, trepidation about having an online critic or were people just kind of seeing that what you were doing was more or less going to be the future of film criticism? I don't think anyone was looking towards the future at mm-hmm. all. I think that they saw that what I was doing, that there was value to it, that I was, uh, I had uh, <laughs> opinions and I had a uh, sense for critical thought about film and uh, my writing, which is much better now than it was back then, uh, was still deemed uh, more than acceptable to be you know amongst the ranks. I think it was just a moment of the decision rather than some sort of outlook towards the future right. but obviously that you know has evolved as well true and the the association has some of the most well-known and recognizable names in chicago film criticism mm-hmm. i know uh, a a doubt from the uh, av club uh, richard roper as mm-hmm. well uh tell us a little bit about that selection process i know it's uh it can you know you have to be recognized in certain yeah. ways you have to be uh in print or you know be recognized by some sort of 
uh, publishing body mm-hmm. to actually get in. Tell us about the process. Well, there are the numbers, and again, another thing that's kind of evolved over the years. And I mean, basically, you know, to sort of keep it short and sweet, uh, you have to be a good writer. You have to have critical thought about film. You don't want to be just posting synopses and you know puff pieces and things mm-hmm. like that. You have to have some sort of measured thought about the world of cinema. Uh, have an, have an outlet that. Uh, uh, provide you an opportunity to show your stuff uh, regularly. So, and also just a maintaining that regularity. Main, you know, not just posting one thing every couple of months to sort of stay within the group, but to have a consistent voice out there in the world. And if you maintain all of those things, then we, you know, we're, we take invitation um, or applications every year. Obviously, we're about to be doing that uh, this summer again for the next upcoming year. Uh, but you know, we we try to encourage people, even if they don't get in the first time to to keep you know working on your writing and you know someday you know because i didn't get in the first time either Mm -hmm. so um when it comes to chicago film criticism i would say that the city has quite a reputation obviously we have names like roger ebert obviously Mm -hmm. off the top of the head um and i think that chicago has a very specific place in the chicago in the in the critic world not just for film but all around we've got a lot of legendary critics what it is, what is it about the Chicago critics community here that uh, seems so fertile for writing? Well, I think it's the, the the kind of lack of influence from the actual the, the Hollywood community itself. I, I, mean, I think if you look at uh, not to you know in any way separate LA and New York film critics, but you know there are a lot of film critics in LA who are very close to the industry, and there's a lot of perks and things uh, involved in that. They get uh, earlier access to many of us here in the Chicago, which sometimes can feel like a flyover city as far as the the Hollywood community is concerned. And I think that allows us uh, a little less um, opportunity to be influenced. You know that we have you know kind of a separation uh, from that world that allows us to be a little bit more in- independent in our in our thinking. So we're not as committed to pleasing studios or you know pleasing you know just to sort of keep our names amongst the ranks you know we have a reputation of being honest i think and not that you know, again i'm not su- suggesting at all that la and new york are dishonest <laughs> in any way no. uh but there is you know th- those two markets are treated a little bit differently than we are here in chicago even though we are the third largest market uh in the country absolutely and there seems to be do you feel that there's a chicago style you mentioned honesty <laughs> um i know that i can and I read critics from around the country. There's many that I enjoy, but there's always something about reading a Chicago critic where I feel like I'm getting the cut and dry opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's just a virtue of living in the city of Chicago? As you mentioned, lack of influence, but is there a style of Chicago writing? I, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a style in the way that people think that, you know, there's a Chicago accent or right. anything like that. I think that, you know, because we are the city of Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, that that, you know, who is an influence everywhere, not mm-hmm. obviously not just in Chicago, but the, I think the critics here in Chicago feel obviously a very special kinship to both of them, both of them who were members of the Chicago Film Critics Association. And, you know, I think that even in the back of even the best critic's mind, uh, I, I think that there's there's an influence there that we want to be uh, in, in some way, uh, carry on the legacy that 
people like Roger Ebert have had in this city that has expanded the world of film criticism beyond just more the you know the thumbs up or the thumbs down thing that people latched onto as part of their show, but the way that they would have these discussions about film. And I think it's very important to have not just a writing style, but a way of articulating things you know verbally and doing shows like this mm-hmm. that I think are very important. So I don't know if there's necessarily a style, but there's certainly an influence. Right, and especially with... Uh both Ebert and Siskel, they were very much scholars of film in a certain way. Uh, Ebert having his multi-volume, you know, great movies, yeah. and he always expanded upon it. Obviously, we, you know, Chicago and those two being famous for coining the whole thumbs up, thumbs yeah. down thing. But that's really just what brought you in right. to the uh, the much deeper conversation that was going on. Uh, I was curious to get your opinion on where you feel film criticism is at now, because we do have a much more democratized media landscape. People can literally just upload their opinions on any movie you know they want on youtube or on wordpress any number of sites do you find this to be a boon for creative critical writing or is it a little bit of a problem when it comes to a deluge of opinions well i think the what the internet has done is in the positive has opened the doors for people to uh, better themselves better their craft because you go back i think any critic will say go back and look at the early stuff that they wrote whether professionally or just as a you know as a hobby and i'll say please don't look at that stuff because mm-hmm. we've all kind of evolved in our writing and our thought thought process as we've gotten older and wiser and more and you know we read more and we attune uh, uh, to other you know the way that other people uh express themselves so i think that as a positive it works to for people to get to practice mm-hmm. basically that you know to sort of you know get a better appreciation of what it means to be a critic as opposed to just being a uh just another publicist if you will for the studio system you don't you know just because you get to see something early and then you write something glorious or hyperbolic about a movie doesn't necessarily mean you're a film critic you just might be selling something and you know i used to do a thing called critic watch where i would compile the blurbs that you know you would see on all these ads and there are a lot of people that don't write reviews but they they spate they blurt out the blurbs really yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean there's sometimes i look at a f- movie poster i'm just like did really someone yeah. say this about skyscraper it's or not, Rampage? Yeah, it's not <laughs> as bad as it used to be it's mm-hmm. actually you know i'd like to think that <laughs> maybe i helped with that a little bit but i don't i don't do that anymore uh and i but I, so I, th- I think it's it's very you have to be careful on the internet, you know, even you know a site like Rotten Tomatoes that you know, full disclosure, I actually do a box office column for uh, sure. that I just started recently. Uh, you, you have you have to wade through and find critics that either uh, inspire you with their thought process, or even if it's just someone you agree with a lot of the time, and find someone and latch onto them, and and and, and find someone who you don't agree with, and sort of get a, another perspective on something. As long as someone's not being overtly nasty or just or snarky for the snake of sake of snark mm-hmm. i know that's that's a market in and of itself as absolutely well. so you know i i think that there, there are a lot of positives to you know everyone being a critic now literally you know having the everyone's a critic 
sure. moniker, and I think we're at that point now. Uh, but it just, I think, with everything else out there in every industry, just you know, be careful. Look, look for the ones who uh, are on the up and up. And speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, that's something that we've talked about on the show before. Um, obviously, I have my issues with not so much Rotten Tomatoes, but the way that people want to use Rotten Tomatoes, right. and even something like Metacritic as well. Mm-hmm. These kind of review aggregators that give you a number because people love numbers. I love numbers too. Everybody likes a nice thumbs up, thumbs down, sure. what have you. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I like what you're saying about pick the critics that you can agree with or maybe not agree with. I know, honestly, one of my favorite critics to read, as much as I vehemently disagree with them on certain things, is uh, Armand White from the National Review. Really? <laughs> I've I have read almost every piece he's ever done yeah. on uh I re- I'm really fascinated by his obsession with like Zack Snyder and Batman v- versus Superman and I walked away from it being like I don't agree with this, but I'll be damned if this isn't the most beautiful writing about this movie that anybody has That's ever a, done. Which, is, again, is another market. You can find people who are very good at writing, but you don't necessarily think that their opinion are coming from, you know, I mean, even Roger Ebert called Armand White a troll uh, many, really? years, many years ago. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think that they're very good writers that uh, certainly that I disagree with uh, a, a lot, but I think that they're coming from a a real honest place, not True. not trying to be controversial. You know, I mean, you, you look at Rotten Tomatoes, and you know you see those sometimes you get to like get out or some or Paddington two that are like at the hundred percent for a while. And then there's that one guy yeah. that is going to write the, <laughs> write the bad review or the semi negative review that's going to you know knock it down to ninety nine or ninety eight percent. And then everyone jumps on that guy like oh you're just doing that for you know. So there's this there's a stigma about honesty and mm-hmm. you know more so in the last couple of years obviously of where we are in society that we're more skeptical than ever. Uh, and with Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes, I think, is the same way that you use two thumbs up. It's a guide post. Mm-hmm. Okay, Two thumbs up for backdraft doesn't mean the same as two thumbs up for Fargo. Right. You know, so it, just, you know, it might be the same thing on the ad, but go and read what they say. Go watch the, the clips of Siskel and Eber and see what they say about those movies. You mm-hmm. know, 98% could be full of three-star reviews, while an 80% movie could be full of four-star Reviews. So it just, you know, keep an eye, you know, watch the numbers. Don't just stop at the first number or the first thumb that you see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, be an informed film viewer. And um, I think that the Chicago Film Critics Association, having all these critics get together, uh, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the benefits of, you know, critics. Maybe there's someone listening out there. They're getting started in their own career. Uh, what are some of the benefits of being part of this association? Well, I mean, I mean, there's a community certainly. Uh, you know, being a part and being recognized uh, as a professional can get you uh, more opportunities in the city. Uh, invitations, sometimes interviews. People who uh, who do come into the city to do interviews, you get can get opportunities like that. Uh, obviously, we have awards at the end of the year, mm-hmm. so you know, sometimes they want to send us little reminders in the mail, which is a nice kind of thing uh, around that time. Uh, but it is the, it's the community that uh, you know I think is really important, and you know le- leading into uh, the, the festival and getting people together to experience uh, all these movies at once at one time, uh, I think is a, a real benefit to being a member. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the festival itself, I do want to ask: What is the Chicago film critic community like? How do you guys interact? Tell us about. Um you know how you might collaborate or how you read each other i know yeah. writers love to read each mm-hmm. other's work and maybe glean a little from each other yeah. learn a little bit and maybe even do some helpful critique critiques what's that like for you well i think one thing that i've noticed probably that there's kind of a lack of 
for lack of a better term, competition, that mm-hmm. we're not trying to sort of one-up each other, that we all support each other's works uh, and things like that, whether it be an individual review or you know a follow Friday on Twitter or anything like that, that there's, there's a support mechanism in place. And we might not get to see each other all the time. You know, We, we see a lot of each other at uh, screenings, early screenings and things like that that are always fun uh, to, to interact with. Uh, many of us are, are very good friends. You know, obviously, we work on the festival and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so I, I just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a community that you know, I mean, we you go to film festivals and you see a lot of people from all across the country that you get to meet, and some of them you're friendly with, some of them you just kind of ignore just because that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Chicago, there is, I mean, it's almost like a cheers kind of thing. Everyone does kind of know your name in the city, uh, and I think that's one of the another benefit of being a part of this organization that you really feel that there is a, a community out there that's kind of you know got your back if you need it absolutely and we've seen in our in here at no coast we've seen not just in the filmmaking community but also the film critique community that uh chicago is a very special place for that sort of yeah. thing and it does differentiate itself a lot from as you said la and new york communities and just it's it's its own thing and it's really great to experience and people really should uh start to engage a little bit more with it because we have things such as the chicago critics film festival in its sixth year, yeah. Uh, so congratulations on <laughs> Thank that. You. Has it been a long six years. Uh, I mean, it's. I think you know, you get older, everything just kind of bleeds together, and you, you can't believe that one month is gone, one week is gone, kind of thing. It's just you get busier, and it just becomes a part of the your the landscape. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I just I was on Facebook this morning, and I just happened to see a memory pop up, and it happened to be the very first day, night, of the Chicago Critics Film Festival, the picture of me and Sarah Polly and Steve Procopi, who's part of the programming team, uh, the very first night. of, And it was five years ago, wow. 2013, in April. Unbelievable. So, yeah. And, I mean, this is a this is a jam-packed festival going from May 4th to the 10th. There's a, almost a full week there, and you've got – it's chock full of yeah. screenings, special appearances as well, and we'll talk about those. But uh, tell me a little bit about the planning that goes into something like a film festival because it uh-huh. seems like from the outside – it's it's hard to kind of uh, form in your head. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Just call up a bunch of people. Hey, we're going to show a bunch of movies at the Music Box. We rented it out. There's going to be a bar. Like, let's do this. <laughs> that sounds a lot like the first year. The first year planning that, uh, you know, if you want to talk about, we can. But the, the very first year, it really was spit and polish, race against the clock. Are we, you know, even while we were doing it, like, are we really doing this kind of thing? The way it, it all came together. We put together the first, and it was only a weekend the first year. We, it was in the suburbs. It was sort of a test run. Uh, we couldn't, still couldn't believe we were even doing it. But it, three months together, we put together this weekend festival. And that's kind of what it was. It was like we, you know, uh, I'll, you know, go into our sele- kind of our selection process. But we were looking for films that we liked, that we wanted to show and show off and promote at this festival. And you just Call, call a publicist, call up filmmakers, and go like, "Hey, we'd like to invite you to our festival." And the first year, we were I mean, we were shocked how many people said yes. Uh, and there were certainly a number of no's. New, new festival, who the heck are you? Right, kind of thing. But there were a number of people, you know, even industry people who were like, "Wow, this is a cool idea. Let's, I, I, we'd like to be a part of this." <laughs> uh, so now, flash forward to now. Uh, you know, basically, it, our festival is a little is different than, say, Sundance or Cannes or Toronto and stuff, where we're not picking films 
you know, uh, submissions, basically. We, we do get those as well. But our selection process mainly comes from other festivals. We wanted to create a film festival in the city for people who can't get out to Sundance in Toronto, uh, do something for them while at the same time creating a collection of films that we really want to see get more exposure, movies that we really like in some form or another, some, in many different genres that we just wanted not to, to get dismissed, not to get to end up just on video on demand without the opportunity to be in a theater mm-hmm. or you know something that might not even play in Chicago once it leaves uh, Sundance or South by Southwest or something like that. Uh, we've had many of those over the years. So usually, you know, Toronto kind of starts the the selection process in mm-hmm. September, and there are a lot of films in Toronto that end up opening before we get to, to our yeah. festival in May. Uh, but we do end up getting a, a couple things from them. Then it's Sundance is when it really kind of kicks in a high gear, that we really start seeing things that are going to be opening in the summer, maybe in the fall, that we really want to you know, sort of be that bridge to their opening. That, right. you know, whether it be a, a, we're a couple weeks early or a few months, or in some cases, even a full year we've had uh, before a film has even come back to Chicago. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, you know, we're sending invites you know, left and right, like, hey, we really like your film. We want to show it as part of the showcase of some of the best films available on the film festival circuit like now, and hope you'll attend. When it comes to that selection process, is it the board? Is there sort of a committee? How do uh, how do people get that those films chosen? We have a programming team. Uh, mm-hmm. When I when I first uh, had the idea for the festival, uh, and I started kind of piecing things together and find out where we're going to get the money from and you know what films might be available to, to show at the festival i brought in close friends and colleagues of mine in the, in the in the organization that i knew were that were interested in being a part of it that were really eager to be a part of it uh i didn't i, I did you know it was just i wanted people close to me that i knew had the same passion and believed in the idea that uh that we were working on uh, so we have a programming team. Uh, we expanded a little bit uh, this year, and it's just it's simple. It's like a bunch of us go to film festivals, and we have other people in the organization that go to film festivals as well. So we take their input. We go like, "Hey, what did you see at the film f- at Sundance? What did you like?" And they let us know. Like, this would be really good. This would be really good. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then so we look at it, or and then if a couple of us like it, we invite it. It's really that simple. If we like it, the movie, you're invited. Wow, you know, and it, it's just you know we don't have sort of a one to fifty list. We don't no. rank the films so much. <laughs> it's just like oh, that's a movie we really like. Oh, Sundance is over. Here's your invitation. We'd like you to be a part of our festival. Yeah, it's kind of that theory of abundance. You know, put out a lot of right. lines, and you know, and as you can see from the program for this year, a lot of great films are saying yes. There's, I, I was honestly floored when I got the chance to see the uh, the programming schedule mm-hmm. here. Um, I want to get into a few of them that I'm really excited about. First, first of all, opening night, uh, a film called Fast Color. Uh, it's directed by Julia Hart, and it is starring Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who was most recently in Wrinkle in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did appear in the Cloverfield Paradox yes, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the films I saw her in that I really enjoyed was Belle. Yeah. And I think she's a really great a rising star really even mm-hmm. though she's been around for a little while 
And this is also produced by Jordan Horowitz, who worked on uh, La La Land, correct? Producer of La La Land. Producer of La La Land, Mm -hmm. which was a movie that, albeit controversial, I couldn't help but, (laughs) you know, fawn over a little bit. (laughs) It's fake controversy. It's just, you know, it's that what it's Oscar controversy where something is really liked for a while, and then when the awards come out and they go like, no, I like this other movie better, so this movie must be garbage. You know, it's it's what I, it's the, it's the, the Birdman boyhood thing. It's right. Like, people really like Birdman, and they're like, no, it's not as good as this movie. Yeah. So th- I'm like, wait, you just liked this movie three months ago. How can it be garbage now? Yeah. Uh, and that happens. I mean, that's the. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But that's <laughs> Absolutely. Thing that happens with awards every year is that one movie is really liked, and La La Land did a, made a lot of people happy. A lot mm-hmm. of people saw that movie, but they, you know, some people like Moonlight, some people like something else. And so, like, no, we got to tear this movie down, otherwise, it's going to win everything. Like, why? Like, yeah. you liked it. Two months ago, like. and I mean, from a production standpoint, I'm sure that uh, Mr. Horowitz was working double time to Certainly. make that happen. Yeah, but uh, tell us a little bit about Fast Color. Well, Fast Color it was uh, it premiered at South by Southwest uh, this year, and uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw plays a woman who uh, is on the run at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the The Earth is kind of in a shall we say a climate stasis, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, things are not looking good for the environment. Uh, she's on the run from people in the government because she has some interesting powers uh the the, sort of the ads or the synopsis of the movie kind of describes her as a superhero uh you can judge how you know if that term is is worthy uh i don't want people going in this movie thinking x-men kind of thing but there are x-men like abilities in it uh but it's more it's a movie about family it's a movie about family it's a movie about about the earth uh and her uh in the course of running away from the people who want to capture her and use her for whatever, uh, she re, uh, reunites with her family that she abandoned several years ago, including her mom and her young daughter. Uh, so it becomes this family reunion kind of thing while also trying to keep her hidden. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's an interesting film that I think people who take a chance on an opening night, uh, and I say take a chance because people might not be aware of, mm-hmm. of these movies. So... We want people to come, uh, and I think by the end of it, they're really going to be rewarded uh, by the end of this movie. They're really going to kind of have a, an emotional boost by the end of this film. Was there a particular reason that you wanted to open up with Fast Color on the on the fourth, having that be your opening night screening? Well, we always try to open something with obviously something that we really like, mm-hmm. uh, but also someone uh, a film that we can bring uh, a guest in. For uh, we usually try to have a uh, star of the movie. I mean, last year we had Aubrey Plaza and Kate Micucci for the Little Hours. Right. We've had Craig Robinson here for Morris from America. Uh, David Wayne for They Came Together, the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was here. So you know, just you know, guests can be tricky because you know you're, there's schedules involved. Sure, right. So even if you want to open something one way, you have to wait. Like, well, they're not going to be available till later in the week, so we'll do it later in the week. So it just it, it just kind of or it kind of just organically comes together mm-hmm. sometimes that uh, uh, Jordan and uh, Gugu became available for opening night, and obviously one one film is as good as the other in, yeah. in this festival. So. That's what we're opening with. Fantastic. And there is going to be a, a Q&A with both Gugu and Jordan mm-hmm. uh, following the film. Uh, when it comes to moderating that Q&A, who's, who's going to be up there? Uh, Tasha Robinson. Excellent. Uh, we'll be there uh, doing that. She's uh, uh, participated in a number of Q&As at the festival uh, over the years, and she's fantastic. So uh, really looking uh, – I mean, because our opening night, if you look at the, the films that we have, there is kind of a uh, – certainly a theme – 
developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fast Color, uh, Support the Girls, Andrew uh, Bajelski's uh, latest film, and uh, Revenge, which is our midnight film, mm-hmm. uh, all uh, starring women, all uh, have a, a, a clearly a pro-woman uh, theme to to all of them. And uh, again, something that just kind of came together and made sense and it's something we wanted to, to do this year. Well, especially in this day and age, mm-hmm. uh, it's really important that we are supporting women in film Certainly. and uh, women in the arts in general. So I think that's a fantastic choice. Fantastic choice. Um, I see that we're going to be having Women of Tokyo by the legendary Yasujiro Ozu. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, I've, I feel like with... Uh, foreign film especially that classic of foreign film it's starting to get a little bit lost Mm -hmm. um i mean myself i'm a uh, self-proclaimed criterion nut mm-hmm. so i've collected as much are you saying woman of tokyo is not available on netflix <laughs> is that what you're saying really an ozu film is not available on netflix no I'm way shocked. uh so this might be the first chance for a lot of people to see uh, this type of old international film. Yeah. Can you tell us about selecting Woman of Tokyo? Well, Woman of Tokyo is actually, we're co-presenting this film. This is actually part of the Music Boxes and uh, co-presented by the Chicago Film Society. Uh, they have a, they do a kind of a silent uh, film Saturday uh, once a month, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of coincided with our festival this year, and so we basically co-hooked up Very with nice. them. So if you have a pass for our festival, you can get into that for free. Uh, if you have a pass, it, will, it is uh, included as part of our festival lineup. So if you have a full festival pass, you can get into that. Otherwise, it's a separate admission. Yeah, and um, the going into a silent film, especially in the music box, in a place that's such a, I don't know, a monument. I feel like to mm-hmm. to not just film of in you know indie or international nature but yeah. also big blockbuster films i mean i saw dunkirk there in 70 millimeter Please. i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now see, seeing it in uh in you know seeing a silent film at the music box just feels like it's going to be an experience well plus on top of that if you haven't experienced the music box with dennis scott on the organ right he's going to be doing live accompaniment with woman of tokyo and Dennis is always there uh, for opening night. So as we're settling in to get the fest all started up, he's there, you know, hammering away on the organ. It's just, I mean, it just, it, it makes the, the, the entire evening just feel extra special. Just, right. just you know, it, it feels there's an old time feel to it. And again, the community aspect of it that just, it's just kind of you know warming. When originally planning the festival, did you have any other venues in mind, or was it just we have to go for the music box? <laughs> this is what we need to do. Well, the, the, again, the first uh, weekend that we did was at the Movie Co in Rosemont, okay. and we knew uh, one of the special events planners there at the Movie Co. And this is this I again I pitched this idea to him because we were doing some classic film Q&As there every once in a while mm-hmm. and he was looking for other ideas and I pitched him this nutty film festival idea and that's how that developed uh, after it was a success that first weekend and we had William Friedkin there to present Sorcerer which was an mm-hmm. amazing evening and we kind of knew after that weekend that we if we were going to do something bigger, if we were going to expand this thing and turn it into the week event that it's become since then, mm-hmm. uh, we needed a uh, a venue in the city right. that you know encapsulated everything to. we wanted uh, uh-huh. in this festival. And the Music Box is just the greatest film theater in the city. Easy. So uh, that was the first place we approached, and they were 
open to the idea, and they've been our home ever since. Well, and where else in the city of Chicago are you going to get a 25th anniversary 35 millimeter screening <laughs> yeah. of the Stone Cold Classic Jurassic Park on the Sunday on May 6th? Yeah, something for the kids. Yeah, Perfect. some of the kids. You know, I mean, we haven't had a lot of movies over the years that have been that you could bring families to. You know, right. we're always on the lookout for that, but usually a lot of the things that families are going to go to are you know big Disney things, sure. animated things that people are going to go see. Uh, so we haven't had an opportunity to have something, and this you know kind of came to us. This is this idea, and we asked Universal, and like, well, you know, this sounds this is a great idea. Can we play it on thirty five millimeter? Can we play it on film, which the music box loves to do? Sure. If they could get a film print in there and, and, and put that out, uh, I, know, I know the projectionist in the music box wants us. You know, if we could play all these on 35 millimeter, he would be yeah. there every day to do it. <laughs> uh, but so the opportunity to play uh, what I hear is a really wonderful print of that movie on its 25th anniversary, which is, again, you talk about time flying away. I mean, I right. still remember the first night that I saw that movie. Wow. And and that's a movie, you know, Jurassic Park is for another generation the way Jaws was for, and Jaws and E.T. were for another generation. So Spielberg has put his stamp on multiple generations. Right. And for some it was Jaws, others it was E.T., for numbers Jurassic Park. There's a reason Jurassic World did as well as it did because oh, yeah. you had all the people who were kids when they saw Jurassic Park are now dads and they get to bring their kids to that. And so now we got a matinee of the original classic Jurassic Park uh, in this festival and we couldn't be happier to, to play it. Yeah, it's uh, I mean Spielberg. Yeah. Just <laughs> well, See, I know critics they... are not all snobby. We no. were, you can have fun too. <laughs> you know? Well, I I would definitely have to think twice about talking to someone who can't appreciate Jurassic Park for in that for theater. What it is. Absolutely, in I that mean theater is going to be incredible, and I can't wait there. There's such a, a special quality to watching something on film. Um, I've been lucky enough through the music box, been able to see uh, things. I got to see Vertigo on mm. on 35, and I, mm-hmm. or it might have even been seven. I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, but I was just so floored. I'm like, I'm watching this movie that was made decades ago, yeah. decades ago, and it looks pristine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the colors pop. So if you really want to, you know, experience Jurassic Park, that is going to be. No time to do it. Yeah, noon on Sunday the 6th. Uh, I see we're also doing a an appreciation of Mr. Paul Schrader. Yeah, in the, in the program this year, uh, we always try to do uh, an essay, uh, some special guest or a film that, uh, that we're going to be playing. And we're really fortunate this year to have a legend uh, at the Truly. festival. On Monday, May 7th, Paul Schrader is going to be here for a Q&A and to present his latest film, First Reformed, with uh, Ethan Hawke and uh, Amanda Seyfried. And... I mean, the name Paul Schrader, if you just, you know, screenwriters don't always, they're not the first people you always think of. Right. But there are certainly a couple handful of screenwriters that you know their name, and Paul Schrader is one of them. Any film person worth their salt knows who Paul Schrader is. He wrote Taxi Driver. He's on the screenplay. He co-wrote screenplays for Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ, and that's just the Scorsese stuff right. he's involved with. Uh, he also directed Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, and Affliction autofocus and this guy has crafted some wonderful challenging dramas over the years and this latest one is going down as one of his best i mean it is it is typically tortured when it comes to paul schrader Mm -hmm. he really likes to have characters that are uh just in 
really pretty dark situations. Um, yeah. If you haven't heard of First Reformed, just the quick blurb, a uh, pastor of a small church in upstate New York is just spiraling out of control after his soul-shaking encounter with an unstable environmental activist and his pregnant wife. And uh, in, it's just a chilling thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about talking to Paul Schrader's people and getting this to happen. Well, I mean, First Reformed, uh, one of the, the, the great things about I mentioned uh, people who are on board with the festival from day one. Uh, there was this little studio back in 2013 that was just getting started called A24. And that year they gave us the Spectacular Now. Right. And we played that as part of our closing night with uh, with Sorcerer. Uh, they've been on board since the beginning, and every year we've had one, at least one or sometimes up to three of their movies every year. Mm-hmm. So they're always one of the first people we go to, and we're always rooting for them to get something great at uh, at Sundance and the other festivals because Absolutely. they've been so, so great to work with over the years. And so First Reformed, uh, the, the opportunity came that they were able to, uh, Paul Schrader's kind of doing a tour and whatnot for the film, and we just kind of massaged all of our schedules to sort of figure out when he'd be able to come through Chicago, and Monday, May 7th is going to be the day. So he's going to be here presenting the movie. He's going to be in town uh, talking with critics and for the, uh, the next day doing interviews and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so that's going to be – that. I mean, that's one of these – lifetime moments for people who are obsessed with film that sure. to come and see a legend like Paul Schrader be there and t- was was promises to be a fascinating discussion with uh Peter Zabinski who wrote the the essay and Steve Procopi uh who does a lot of our uh Q A's at the festival mm-hmm. as well. Uh that convers that conversation I mean the movie People, you know, certainly have a lot to talk about after the movie, uh, but the conversation afterwards probably just as much. Absolutely. Have you had a chance to see First Reformed? This, no, this is actually one of the films. You know, the programming team. We, you know, we see as many movies as we possibly can. Sure. But sometimes these guys see these movies at Sundance. I see other movies. We're trying to, you know, again see as much as we possibly can, and we can only be in so many places at once. So First Reformed is one of the ones that. Uh, well, this actually, this one actually goes back to Toronto last year, and it was immediately. So it's probably one of the very first movies we put on our radar. And originally it was supposed to open in April, so it didn't look like we were going to get it. And then A24 miraculously pushed it back that managed to, you know, fall right in line with our sure. festival. So First Reform is something that's been on our radar for a very long time. So I'm, you know, again, I'm, I become a fan. You know, all of us, you know, have, you know, three or four movies that we haven't seen in the lineup. And, you know, some of us work the front and, you know, go see the movie. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice as despite the fact that you've programmed this festival mm-hmm. and you know almost everything that's going to be going on yeah. at this festival, you'll still get a chance to be surprised. Right. Absolutely. Um, just, I want to hit home the point that we are talking about Paul Schrader. I mean, as, as most people on who listen to this show, uh, we're film fans. We know who this guy is. We know what he's done. Uh, just from a critic mode, what, why should people want to come and see Paul Schrader talk? Because he's he's a he's got a fascinating voice. I mean, it, you you heard those titles that I talked about, and maybe people not everyone has seen like Affliction or Autofocus or even Mishima, uh, which are you know films that he's directed. But everyone knows Taxi Driver. Everyone knows Raging Bull in some capacity or another. And this is a guy that writes very fascinating films about tortured people and who among us hasn't been tortured in some respect uh you know you know either spiritually or um you know just in our everyday lives and so i mean i think that he has really he has wonderful things to say about faith and our place in you know where we are in, in our daily lives 
and it's just i mean it's just like why not like why wouldn't you take yeah. that opportunity it's, i mean even if it's, even if you just want to go i'm going to see the guy who created taxi driver that's i mean that's I worth an instagram that's right post there. absolutely <laughs> absolutely all right uh moving on to closing night um one of the films that i've been watching you know develop for a while is eighth grade mm-hmm. and that's going to be playing on thursday closing night may 10th directed by none other than uh i'd say millennial comedic wonderkind <laughs> bo burnham who many people do know and if you don't know him you should know him because he writes some of the smartest most well-produced comedy that I've seen in a while, whether or not it, it always makes you laugh, it'll always make you think. And he's got this new movie, Eighth Grade, about a 13-year-old girl just experiencing it all. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about Eighth Grade and getting Bo involved with this. Yeah, well, this is another uh, A24 film. Uh, so immediately I saw it at Sundance and really liked it and like, yes, we're definitely going to invite that because it's absolutely a crowd pleaser and it's for everybody. I mean, it's the story of a 13-year-old girl who's right in that really awkward middle phase where you're not a kid anymore, but you're not quite a teenager either. So you're just about to graduate eighth grade. You're not exactly very popular. You have a video blog that you you know try to develop friends on the internet with, but you're still kind of an outsider. You're not really picked on per se, but you're not really in yeah. any particular crowd. You're an in-betweener. You're an, absolutely an in-betweener. And uh, she, her, her mom uh, has uh, left. I forget, forget if she's divorced. I, I think she's passed away in the film. And her dad, played by Josh Hamilton, is trying to be as best he can the cool dad kind of yeah. thing, which can be even more awkward because you're <laughs> in that phase where you're kind of separating yourself from your parents a little right. bit. So that doesn't make things uh, all the more easier. And like you said, I mean, you, you, whether you know whether or not you've been tortured in your life and you want to come see Paul Schrader, we've all been 13. Right. And whether you're male, female, whatever, you know, whatever race, class you are, uh, you've experienced something that goes on in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's just for an hour or a day, uh, you you will come away from this movie going like, yeah, this this movie gets it. Yeah, this movie really gets it. And Bo Burnham like immediately they you know said like you know you want to bring in Bo? I'm like, yes, we we will yes. bring in Bo. Can he uh, bring the piano? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't think even when you know we said yes to it because we 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 try to bring in as many filmmakers or you know guests that we possibly can. And you know they offered uh, Bo would be available and said, like, yeah, absolutely, we'd love to invite Bo. I don't think even we appreciated just how big he is. Right. Honestly, I mean we you know we knew him from from stuff, but you know he has you know 1.7 million Twitter followers, and I had people calling me before tickets went on sale at you know my office, going, "Are tickets on sale yet?" People just like calling me, like you know, they'll be on sale tomorrow. Just you know, okay. And I suggest that if people want to come to the screening, they might want to buy their tickets now. Yes, I mean this is this is a guy that is instantly recognizable to a lot of people. I mean, and he does cover a fairly large swath of uh, you know of just ages. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I I remember when he first started getting a little bit popular. I was like, oh wow, this guy's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And then seeing his career go on and seeing how theatrical he gets and how you know even with his stage shows feels cinematic when you watch i know he has a couple specials on netflix and stuff like that and you watch it and you're like man this guy should make a movie mm-hmm. and uh i know that he had 
uh, a failed uh, television show at some point on on MTV. So <laughs> I've always been waiting. And he's appeared in a few movies here and there. Yeah. And uh, people I've just, we know from the Big Sick. Last right. Year. He's yeah. the comedian that's always giving uh, the Camille's roommate or not. Yeah, it was, it was his roommate uh, that the really bad comedian. He keeps right. giving them crap in the movie. Yeah. I got to say, I had to hand it to him for. I was like, I love Bo Burnham, but. God, screw this guy. He's just the worst <laughs> kind of comedian. He's so mean to everybody. Yeah. But uh, I'm really excited to see eighth grade. Um, when it comes to the Q&A, dealing with a comedian that he's he is definitely not afraid to say things that really cut to the core of a lot of stuff. What do you think the Q&A is going to be like? I hope just like that. I mean, I hope that, you know, I'm not a guy that wants to see someone go up there and just be controversial for the sake of con- being controversial. Right. But I like honesty, you know, yeah. and if honesty doesn't always flow with everyone what everyone thinks should be the norm i'm fine with that too uh and we've had you know we've had bobcat goldthwaite at our festival a few times and people you know might still think of bobcat as that character that he was doing in the 1980s right but in real life he is uh you know he is just a wonderful genuine uh presence to be around i mean just oh yeah absolutely could have been nicer the both times we've had him at uh at the festival and you know he comes up on stage and he's you know he answers honestly he answers very funny often a lot but he, you know there's almost a dryness to uh to his humor and sometimes it goes a little bit overboard but uh in, but in a great way I'm, mm-hmm. you know people are just like oh man i didn't expect him to say that uh so yeah i, I mean i just i just want honesty and i you know i know our the people who do our q and a's ask great questions we've been lucky enough that the people who attend our audience members who get a chance to ask ask questions as well have been very on point over mm-hmm. the years they're not the you know the people that you hear about on twitter and stuff and just like oh they came up and they asked you know if you'd read my screenplay mm-hmm. and stuff they ask actually really smart questions we've had that fortunate and you know it's probably the nature of chicago and the music box obviously but that's the kind of thing we want to see. So, you know, if you want to come, and I know there are going to be a lot of people <laughs> screaming yes. when Bo gets brought up to the stage, uh, both before the movie and afterwards, uh, you know, come with your good questions, though. Come with your good questions, because that's what we want to see. We want to see a real interaction. Yeah. I will say that whenever it comes to a Q&A, and I've, I've been to a few in my time, and um, it is, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you're sitting there just to be like, okay, where does this go? Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, you do get the people who are just like, can you read my screenplay? Right. And it's... Don't I'm, don't get up there and ask what the budget of the movie was. Don't no. ask there, you know, you know, you can ask advice, but, at, you know, make sure that it's not just personal, that it's a little more wide-reaching. Like, what advice would you give, you know, this, what advice would you give to your 13-year-old self? You know, whatever it might be. Uh, just, you know, come with a smart question. Right. I mean, you're going to be surrounded by... Don't some waste the, anyone's time. Exactly. You're surrounded by some of the best critics, not just in <laughs> Chicago, but in the country. Yeah. You know, maybe show a little bit of your chops. You know, you don't have to be Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert, what have you, but right. be ready for a good question. Uh, again, this is the sixth annual Chicago Critics Film Festival going from May 4th to the 10th. Uh, it's over at the Music Box Theater. If you've never been or you forgot where it is, 3733 North Southport, um, one of the most legendary theaters in chicago uh where are people going to be able to get tickets uh through the music box through you guys yeah two places that you can go uh you can go to uh, our website chicagocriticsfilmfestival.com and you can see actually a whole history and archives about the festival but we have links there the full schedule is up there and links to where you can buy uh the uh world tickets and whatnot and passes 
uh, those links will take you to the Music Box Theater website. If you go to the special events page there, and you'll see a direct link for us. Again, the full schedule is there, ticket availability. Passes for the tickets range from $10 to $18, depending on, on the screening. The festival pass that we've been consistent at all these years is $150. Which is incredibly reasonable. For the entire week. I mean, there are festivals that we're talking six six fifty. Absolutely. Okay. And you can only see so many movies in a week. So you can't mm-hmm. see 150 movies at Sundance for $600 because no. time is an issue. Here you got one week. We don't play any movie against each other. So it's one theater. You can see every movie you want for $150. And uh, if I could, I want to offer listeners of your show uh, an opportunity to come uh, to win some tickets to opening night. Uh, so if you email me at uh, or email the fest at criticfest at gmail.com, just put the subject line fast color. The first 50 people who uh, email me, uh, you will win a ticket for opening night. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Not so not only can you go see a full week of expertly curated films at the Music Box Theater, the historic music box theater, you can now win tickets to opening night. Go see Fast Color. First fifty people, you heard the email address. Uh Eric Childress, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having uh, me. He is the executive secretary of the board for the Chicago uh Film Critics Association. He's also a critic himself at efilmcritic.com. Uh where can people follow you on social media? Read a little bit of your criticism. Yeah, you can go to uh on Twitter. I'm Eric the Movie Man. That's Eric with a K. Uh if you go to eFilm Critic, most of my stuff right right now are in, in the podcast and uh radio form. Like I said, I'm uh, on WGN Radio every week with Nick DeGilio, so uh we link everything there back to WGN Radio. So if people want to hear me there, there. Uh, and I also do a television show called Business First AM where I talk about uh, the box office every week. Uh, all the links are there and on Facebook. And uh, again, Rotten Tomatoes, I do a box office column uh, every weekend. So you can find me there as well. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Eric. We will see you over there at the at the festival. Uh, Connor and I will also be at the festival covering right. a few of the movies. So uh, please, if you're there, come say hi. Let's talk film. Let's talk film festivals. Uh, you are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush, and we will see you all next week. Thank you.